You know, I didn't say anything last week specifically, I guess, about um, too much about the walls themselves and the whole idea of the kingdom and, and uh, what we're doing here. But I really want to thank Darcy and Hope, and I want to thank Ryan Nickel also for the input that they've had in all of this. Um, the chance that we've had to go through this theme uh, in many ways is attributable to Darcy and Hope and some thoughts that they had along those lines. And, uh, you know, sometimes minds just work well together. And, uh, and then also Ryan Nickel did a great job of putting all of this up together and in kind of short order. And then I think the Pollock family came down and painted it. So I appreciate very much everything that they did. And, uh, and I think, like, I've heard nothing but good things about last week, uh, you know, the positive things that, that happened. And, and people being uh, able to share, uh, at least on the back of a leaf, the things that they really want to do for the kingdom of God. And that's a good thing. This week, I had two of the best life group discussions uh, that I've ever had. They were fantastic. And it was all about the kingdom of God. In, in both cases, I could just feel that there was growing happening while we were discussing. In fact, last night, Dana at one point said, I've never thought of it this way before. And you, you, know, you could just tell that there were people who were being exposed to things that they hadn't thought of before. And the same thing was happening with me. I was talking about the kingdom and sharing the kingdom in the first group on Wednesday nights. And then last night, as, we were, as I was just part of the discussion, you know, there were things that were going off in my brain as well. Light bulbs were popping, and I was thinking, man, I've, you know, there's th- things here that I'm seeing, that I'm getting. And it was just really exciting. And part of the reason that it's so exciting is because I feel like we're like we're into something big here. Like to talk about the kingdom of God is so central to who Jesus is and what he was all about. I mentioned last night in the group, we preach Jesus. Paul taught us to preach Jesus. But when you look at what Jesus preached, what did Jesus preach? Did Jesus preach himself? Well, a bit. He did say things like, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. And so he's definitely said some things positive about himself, and he was making some claims about being the son of God. But the thing that Jesus proclaimed more often than anything else, by far, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, by the way, in Matthew's gospel, but kingdom of God everywhere else, was central to what Jesus was talking about. And that tells me that if we're going to have some idea of what Jesus had in mind as central to him, that we need to be thinking about the notion of the kingdom. Now this morning, we're going to go in a particular direction with that because we're talking about our Trinitarian king. I told the group last night, I said, we're going to go tomorrow morning and we're going to handle both the Trinity and the kingdom all in one morning. By the time we're done, everybody's going to be an expert in both fields. And so you thought to yourself, I'll never get a handle on the Trinity. I don't really understand it. But that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about our Trinitarian God, the Trinity, and also the kingdom of God. And I want to start with a couple of definitions. And the first one is about the Trinity. It comes right out of our what we believe statement. So if you looked at our website or if at the beginning of the year when we hand out our our, website, what we believe statement, if you were to read the first principle, this is what you, would be, uh, what you would read. We believe in God as he has revealed himself in history, as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ and in the Bible, one God in three 
co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is the creator of the universe and the giver of life. The most central attribute in his eternal existence is love. Now, I don't know if you look at that and think to yourself, yeah, I absolutely believe that. But that's what our church says that we believe. Now, what's interesting is, for a couple of thousand years, people have been trying to get a handle on this notion of Trinity and the idea that there's three in one and one in three, and what exactly does that mean? And the fact is, it's not all that simple until today. Today, because your preacher happens to be the greatest graphic computer artist in the history of the world you're going to see something that has never been seen before. Now, I showed this to my wife yesterday. The first time I showed it to her, it did not go over well. Like, she was like, no, nah, that's not going to work. She didn't say, that's really ugly, but she could have. Okay, so I modified it a bit, and the next time I showed it to her, and she said, I get that. I see that. I think I understand where you're going. And I thought, I think... I think we can show this to the church and it's going to be okay. So the first graphic is this. What do you see, church, when you see this? Okay, You see a river going through a pasture. It's brown because it's wintertime. Okay? But we've got trees in the field. We've got cows in the field. You can almost hear them moo. You can almost hear the birds sing. Okay? So we have this picture of this river. And then we have this. Right in the middle of the river, there are two long islands separating, you notice, the river into, at least at one point, three different streams. Now, is the water in one stream exactly the water in the other? Or are the banks exactly the same? If you were going down one side, would you think this is a mirror image of the other two? No, they are slightly different, but they all come from the same source. It's, in one sense, all the same river, the same water running by past these islands. And so you can imagine what I'm going to do with that. Father, Son, and Spirit. And I've separated the way I have here with the Son on the left, the Father, and the Spirit because of what I'm going to do with it in a moment. But the notion here, obviously, is that there are, in fact, three in one and one in three. And so if you've never thought about the kingdom of God or the Trinity before and thought, I don't understand how this works, that there can be three in one, I think this kind of works. And, you know, obviously, the notion of the river and the three streams is not original to me. Uh, I remember a long time ago, I thought, oh, the best way to explain this is to think in terms of light and taking a prism and putting the prism up against the sun, and then having the sun go through the prism, and what does it do when the sunlight hits the prism? It separates into all kinds of different wavelengths. And so the different colors of light are there, but they're all coming from the same source, and they're all the same light, really. And I thought, boy, that's brilliant. I don't think I've ever, you know, nobody's ever come up with this one before, I'm sure, until I started reading some of the ancient literature and you know, Gregory of Nazianzus came up with it in about 350 A.D. And so I wasn't quite as original as I thought I might be. And I'm guessing that somebody has done this one as well. Okay, but I, I do think this kind of works. There's one stream, and you can think of God being the, the river as it comes down, but then it separates into three. Eventually, 
uh, being quite different in one sense, but at the same time being all the same. Okay, now we all have then a perfect handle on the Trinity. You get it. You now understand the Trinity like, like no one before, okay? And I'm feeling really good about that. What about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what we're studying. So we better have some kind of handle on this as well. And it's interesting because I've had several conversations with people in the last week, some of whom are sitting in this room, and one of the things that was quite common to our conversations was that they felt like they really didn't get it. What exactly is the kingdom of God? So I thought, well, we'll read some scriptures. Maybe we'll come to a clearer understanding about kingdom. So first of all, Matthew 12, 28. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I just want to ask the question, did Jesus drive out demons by the Spirit of God? He certainly did. Which means that somehow, at that point, the kingdom of God had come upon them. Because Jesus was driving out demons by the Spirit of God. So the kingdom was present. Luke 17, 21 through 22. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. And that word within could be translated among. Or maybe a better way would be to say it's in your midst. And so again, there's this notion of the kingdom's presence But he says, you can't say, oh, it's over there, it's over there, here it is. It's a bit elusive. Not easily nailed down, and yet at the same time, incredibly substantial. Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew parallelism, and our church, of course, would, we would know about that. Hebrew parallelism, parallelism says that when there is a line of prayer or poetry, oftentimes another line follows immediately after it that's expressed in different words but says the same thing. And Jesus was a Hebrew. And I'm absolutely confident that when he says, thy kingdom come in his prayer, and then thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that he has parallelism in mind and that the notion of the kingdom coming somehow fits with his will being done on earth even as it is in heaven. Which again makes it a little difficult to say, well, there it is or there it is or here it is because it has more to do with the will of God being accomplished in our world than it does with anything else. So, I want to say this morning that the kingdom of God is not a realm. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's not even a place in heaven. It's not a group of people. Sometimes we think, and I remember this is when I first came into uh, the church, when I first became a Christian, that people would sometimes identify the kingdom with the church. But the kingdom is clearly not just the church although I think the church is part of it. It's here, it's now, it's present with Jesus, and yet there's a sense in which we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. And so it's now and it's not yet. 
I think it means the reign or the rule or the influence of God. And maybe those are the best ways to think about it. It certainly includes this idea that God is ruling and reigning, both in the hearts of human beings and in the world where he has all of this influence. And so if I was going to sum it up, I would say something like this. Oh, I could have read Matthew 11, 4. I'll move on. The presence of the reign or rule of God over and in the world, brought about by Jesus and seen most clearly in the gospel's and church's impact and influence. I think that's how I would describe the kingdom of God. And so, Bud, that's a little bit different. When you said to me, well, how would you put it? This is slightly different than what I said to you, but not too different. The presence of the reign or rule of God over and in the world brought by Jesus and seen most clearly in the gospels and churches' impact and influence. I think that that's what the kingdom is all about. So again, if you think in terms of a place or you think in terms of a group of people, you're going to miss it. Something's not going to quite fit with the biblical definition of what the kingdom is. But when we see it as God's reign or his influence, we can start to understand, I think, how it comes with Jesus how it's supposed to have an impact and how things are supposed to be changed when the kingdom comes. And so when a life is changed and sin is removed, then the kingdom of God or God's rule has come into that life. When a group of people is changed, the kingdom of God is working and present within that church. When the gospel is preached in an African village and a whole village comes to Christ, the kingdom is now present with them. When we give a food to a, ha- a food hamper to a needy family and they have something to eat because of the influence of Christ in our lives, then the kingdom has been present. And I would say that last Sunday, when you took your leaf and you wrote something on the back about what you were going to do in the name of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom was working in you at that point, and certainly will be when you end up doing what your leaf says you're going to do. And so what I want us to see this morning is that our God is the king, and that when he extends his rule into our world, the kingdom is here. And I also want us to see that he brings the kingdom into our world in different ways. In fact, I would say in at least three distinct different ways through his personhood as Trinity. And so the kingdom is going to look different as the different persons within the Trinity bring the kingdom into our world. God is a king. Three basic ways of being king. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he's our Trinitarian king who brings the kingdom into our world. And so back to our graphic. And this is where it gets really good. Okay? I, I, I was so creative here, I, I, I surprised myself. Okay? Look at this one. There's the, the original image. Son, Father, and Spirit with the three different streams. And then this. Isn't that beautiful? Thank you, Gregory. And here's what I'm thinking. In fact, I thought there's going to be kids here today, especially in the second service. I think even they can get this. On the left-hand stream with the sun, you have a hydroelectric dam. And the hydroelectric dam produces all kinds of electricity. And you can see those lights out there in the land from the hydroelectric dam. You've even got power lines that go out there. Do you see that? I'm going to get to 
what this is all about in a second. Then there's the father, the mainstream that just continues. And then out on the right side, what does that look like to you? Some of you, if Dave Bailey was here, he's a farmer, he would look at that, he would, he would know exactly what that is. It's irrigation. And so the stream is actually doing something. Now, of course, I'm being a little bit facetious here because I'm such a terrible graphic artist that I got to be a little bit facetious. But here's the point. God does present himself to us in different ways. In fact, three main ways, Father, Son, and Spirit. And they don't function exactly alike when they come into the world and they begin to do something. And so Jesus talks about being the light of the world. He enlightens things. It never says that the Spirit is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And we've got a hydroelectric dam to indicate that Jesus does something in terms of lighting up the world. It's his role. And of course, he does all kinds of other things. But at least it separates him from what the Spirit does in that he has this unique kind of role. And it separates Christ from the Father. The Spirit does, in fact, influence everything that it touches. And what happens when the Spirit goes into someone's life? They grow. They flourish. They have the nutrients that they need. The Spirit of the presence, the Spirit uh, presence in the life of a Christian makes that Christian different, makes them grow and become what God wants them to be. And so there's this permeating kind of influence of the Spirit going out just like water into fields and irrigating. And of course, my, my point is that the kingdom does just exactly this through the efforts of our Trinitarian king. God goes into the world and permeates. You can't just shut down where light goes as it permeates. Not if that light is powerful. Not if that light is at a place where it can influence what it enlightens. And so there's this permeating nature to light that infiltrates and affects things. And we all know that when light goes into a room or any other place, there is no darkness. And the same thing is true of the permeation of the water as it filters out into fields and makes things grow. And I think God does just exactly this with us. So what we have here is God, a Trinitarian God, a Trinitarian King, and the kingdom that comes with the work of the king. And he goes in and he does things. Through the son's death on the cross. Through the spirit's indwelling of believers who inspires scripture. The way the spirit works in the church to give the church special gifts. The way the son reveals the father and makes available to us salvation. The way the father superintends over Israel first. And then sends his son and continues to superintend the kingdom. They, in one sense, all act in concert because they're all part of one stream. They all act, in one sense, independently because they all have roles that are different. And we act in light of those roles. Now, one of the things that I did with the group on Wednesday night here was I asked them three questions. I asked them some questions about how things should be in light of the kingdom being in their lives. And I started with this question. I said, what is the difference between a regular earthly kingdom with one king and the heavenly kingdom that has a king who reveals himself to us as a trinity? And these people were geniuses. Like I was so impressed. As they were talking, 
were sitting over here in the fireside room. We're kind of around over by the fire. And as they're talking, they started to share what their thoughts were in answer to this question. I literally, I jumped up out of my seat. I ran over to the board that's at the end of the room. I opened the doors and I just started writing down all their comments. And then afterwards, I took a picture of it. And I turned around and I told them, I said, you guys realize you're writing my sermon for me on Sunday. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to have to do any work at all this week. I'm just going to sit around and stare at your work. Maybe you make a PowerPoint slide of it or something. And it was wonderful what they shared. They talked about how between the three, as the kingdom comes into our world, there's going to be perfect humility among them. There's also going to be perfect relationship and community between them. There's going to be no competition, no disrespect. Each of the three only wants to honor the others. There will be mutual joy among them. No conflict and no competition. I was impressed. I'm thinking, that's beautiful. That's exactly the way that the Trinity is. The the persons of the Trinity, the way that they interact with each other. They said things like this. There is a completeness of strengths within God's kingship. The different persons complement each other fully in their roles in the kingdom. There are no shortfalls of action. That those are virtually their words. Isn't that cool? Like just the notion that there is a completeness of strengths within God's kingdom. I was impressed. You know, we have Queen Elizabeth. She's not perfect. Prince Charles is worse. What if, what if the emperor, Napoleon, was on the throne of England? What if it was Julius Caesar? They've all got problems. We could pick King David. Was he perfect? Not at all. But on our throne now, we have one who is perfect, with perfect rule and perfect completeness, according to the group on Wednesday night, in terms of the way in which he rules. And it was beautiful. They talked about how in our Trinitarian king, we have one who came to be like us in every way because one of the three comes to be with us. It's interesting, you know, Prince William and Prince Harry don't really have any idea of what it's like to be you and me. They don't know what it's like to live in northern England and be uh, work in a coal mine. They don't know what it's like to be a fisherman from Wales. They can't get that. Their royalty doesn't allow that. But the royalty of Jesus, as one of the three who comes, does. They said that he is really triumphant over evil, including all of our griefs, our pain, and our separation, and all of our loneliness, because he understands what it's like to come and join us, even while he's still king. Pretty profound thoughts, group, on Wednesday night. They talked about how there's humility in his sacrifice, that his spirit perfectly joins us in the kingdom, that he's perfectly good, perfectly stable, perfectly loving, caring, benevolent, merciful. He conquered death when no king ever conquered death. And that's exactly right. A second question I asked them, what does all this mean for us? Like big deal. We have a Trinitarian king. So what? Here's what they said. They said, we are part of a kingdom that the world badly needs. We share in a kingdom that is full of blessing. They said it means that the king, the ruler, totally gets us. He gets our needs and our weaknesses. 
They said that when his rule impacts our lives, it impacts us in a way that lifts us up. It means that he's in direct connection with us, totally involved, not remote, not distant, that the kingdom of God really is near, right at hand. It means that we are loved by our Trinitarian king who is willingly joining us as a human being and then indwelling us through his spirit and so that we're put in intimate relationship with the king. We are now defined, our lives are defined, not by being under British rule or Danish rule or Swedish rule, but God's rule, the rule of our sovereign. I like it. Like, I think that's exactly right. Everything changes for us in light of who our king is and the rule that he has in our lives. And then this last question, I said, this all means for us that we have some responsibilities. How should we respond to our Trinitarian king? And I I thought this was interesting because, you know, I'm an American. We don't have kings and queens. We kicked them out a long time ago, we like to say. We don't count it a blessing and an honor or something noble to be under the tutelage of a king. So I get the notion of rebellion against the king. But that is exactly, in the kingdom of God, what we don't do. In him, our rebellious spirits are taken away. And we end up acknowledging him as our sovereign and our Lord. We love him for what he's done in his son. We recognize that he indwells us by his spirit. And so allegiance, exclusive devotion, we give our time, money, our hearts, our love, our possessions, all these things to him. And that's what the group on Wednesday night saw. That we give ourselves completely to the king, spreading his influence, ministering in his name, bringing the kingdom influence, the kingdom impact as our Trinitarian God brings that into our own lives. Now that's pretty cool stuff. And that didn't come from me, it came from them, as they just reflected on and thought about what it means to be Christian, what it means to respond to our Trinitarian King. Well, we are going to go at least one step further. Because all this means for us that we have some responsibilities, how should we respond? And I would say, we are going to bring the influence of our Trinitarian King into our world. And that's what the leaves were about last week more than anything else. Putting up some way in which we're going to impact our world because God, our King, has first impacted us and brought His kingdom. Now, if this works out, I've got a video that we're going to show here. I knew we had a few minutes extra today because there's no Bible classes. Now, if you need to run out, I've gone a little bit over here. If you need to run out, I'll be ashamed of you, but go ahead and run, okay? But Hunter is going to show us a video, I hope. And, uh, and here, here's the point. These people are simply bringing the influence of the kingdom of God. And we need to do likewise. It's a cool story. Hunter? You're not alone. Good boy! But if you're a fan of the Gainesville Tornadoes in Gainesville, Texas, then you are. Some lights, please. Usually, our fan base was close to zero. My parents came uh, one game, but 
They didn't come to the other ones because they didn't have time. The other students at Gainesville don't come to the games either, mostly because they can't get out. They're this is a juvenile correction facility for felony offenders. And one of the few perks here for very good behavior is a chance to leave the prison a few times a year to play basketball. They play against private schools like Vanguard College Prep in Waco. And it was before that recent matchup that two Vanguard players announced they weren't going to play against a team with no fans. No one likes playing in an empty gym. But isn't that supposed to be a good thing for you? You don't have the other fans cheering against you? I guess, but it just seems weird, you know? It just didn't seem right. So, before their home game against Gainesville, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson asked some of the Vanguard fans for a favor. To cheer for Gainesville instead. The Gainesville players had no idea what was happening. They walked onto the court to find their own signs of support, their own cheerleaders, even their own fan section. Half the crowd was assigned to cheer for Gainesville. But then as it went on, everybody just kind of got so into it. Nobody was cheering for you. <laughs> everyone was cheering for them. I mean, every time they scored, the gym was just lit up with cheering and clapping, and everyone was on their feet. This is not what I've ever seen sports be. I think in a way, this is kind of how sports should be. It, it just kind of showed me the real impact that encouragement and support for anybody can make. Hudson says we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. It's something I won't forget. When I'm old man, I'm just going to be thinking about this. Probably remember that for the rest of my life. And finally, as for who won the game, well, obviously they didn't care. So why should we? Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Waco, Texas. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. For all of us at CBS News all around the world, okay, Hunter, you can I'm turn Scott it Pelley, and I'll see you Sunday. On... Pretty cool, eh? These kids are in prison. They don't have any fans. The one kid says, I told my dad or my parents about the game, but they were just too busy. And some, some other young people took it on themselves to give these kids who were in trouble some fans to cheer for them. And I think, man, that's, that's just like the kingdom. Going out and doing something. You know, Jesus says, I came to set the prisoners free. And isn't that what we need to do? Work in other people's lives to bring the kingdom in such a way that they know something new and different is going on. Our world can be changed because we take opportunity to do some things for Jesus and for our King. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for the privilege we have of being your subjects, your children. And God, I know that the, the kingdom is so much bigger than who we are. And yet, at the same time, we, we, we're wanting to work for you. We're wanting to do things in our lives that represent your kingdom. And I would pray, God, you would help us to do so. Help us to, to infiltrate our world with your great kingdom. It's through Jesus we pray.